Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We are so glad that you are here, here on episode 197. Whether you're a brand new speaker, just getting started, just I just don't know what I don't know, or you're a speaker who's been at it for many years and you're just trying to continue to increase your gigs and your fees, wherever you're at in your speaking journey, we are super excited, honored, and pleased that you are joining us. Now, before we get into today's guest, we've got a great episode for you, a great conversation with a speaker who has made just a, a, a meteoric, yeah, meteoric rise in his own speaking business. Uh, the guy just got into the speaking business professionally like within the past couple of years and has really seen tremendous growth. So I think you're going to learn a lot from today's episode. But I want to tell you real quick about something we put together for you. So as some of you may know, if you are a longtime listener of the show then you know about uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago or so, we had put together a, a free Facebook group that at one point had about 10,000 speakers as, uh, as that were a part of it. And uh, so we decided about a year and a half ago or so to actually pause doing that group for a, a few different reasons. Well, we've had a lot of interest from people who are saying, hey, can we, can we kick that back off? Can we have that open again? So we have decided to open the doors to that free Facebook group once again. So that is live as of today. If you want to check that out, you can go over to thespeakerlabgroup.com. Again, you can find that over at thespeakerlabgroup.com. It's going to take you straight to that Facebook group. It's it's totally free group. It's a private group though, so you just have to request access and then uh, you can jump in there. So listen, we want you to we want you to connect with other speakers. We want you to ask questions. We want you to engage, and we want to just host a party that you can uh, connect with other speakers, learn and grow your your speaking as you build and grow your speaking business. So we know that building a speaking business, it can be lonely, it can be isolating, kind of wonder at times, like, am I the only one who's feeling like this? So we wanted to, to uh, decided to, to reopen the doors to this free Facebook group. So we'd love for you to check it out. Again, you can find that over at thespeakerlabgroup.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabgroup.com. Now, in addition to that, part of the reason you want to subscribe to the podcast and check out that group immediately is we are actually doing a big giveaway this week with a premium speaker kit. All right, we've put together a bunch of different resources, including books, different uh, tech tools that you need, also a uh, a membership to a tool called Gig Salad, where it's a marketplace that'll help you find gigs faster. Put together a tool in partnership with them that I think you're really going to enjoy. So we are giving this away for free, this premium speaker kit package uh, and then bundle. And so we would love for you to uh, stop by and check that out. Again, you can find all the details for that over at thespeakerlabgroup.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabgroup.com. Okay, so let's get to today's uh, today's guest. Today, we are going to be chatting with Mr. Joey Coleman. With Joey, uh, we're going to be talking about how he got his start as a speaker and then made the transition into full-time speaking. So he was someone who was doing a little bit of speaking here on the side uh, with his agency, with some of the work that he was doing professionally. And then decided, listen, I, I like this. I want to do more of this. And that's when he really decided to uh, to actually close down his other business, his agency, 
and go all in with speaking. So I think you're going to enjoy hearing that story of transition. We're also going to talk about how he generates referrals and coaching consulting clients from each gig that he does. We're going to talk about his process for preparing a new talk and presenting it. Also going to share a simple tip that he gives at the end that he does for every client that makes such a huge difference in the client experience. This is something I personally have done with clients for years and years and years, and it's just a simple, silly little throwaway tip, but it really does make such a huge, huge difference in building that rapport and that connect, that connection and relationship with clients. So make sure that you stick around for uh, till the end for that. In fact, Joey's, our conversation with him was so good that we have to have him back for a part two. So you're going to be able to uh, hear that here in the, uh, the next few weeks. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Mr. Joey Coleman. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy, Joey Coleman. We're going to be talking all about his speaking career as well as how to uh, never lose a customer again. Is that possible? Is that that's, a thing? That's the goal, Grant. That's the okay. goal. Absolutely. Right. Well, you're going to enlighten us. So stay, stay tuned well, for I'll that. Do, I'll do my best. I don't know much how much <laughs> enlightenment I'll bring, but I, I will certainly be happy to share kind of some of the things I've learned along the way of things that work and don't work. Perfect. Well, man, we, uh, we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. So first of all, why don't you give us kind of a context of you, your speaking business, your speaking career, and then uh, what things look like today. And then we're going to backtrack and kind of figure out how you got into to where you are today. Well, like many of the uh, guests you have on the show, Grant, I'm a full-time professional speaker. I would say speaking makes up about 70% of my business. Consulting makes up about 30%. I'm on the road about two and a half weeks out of every month giving speeches predominantly in North America. I do a lot in the US and Canada. Occasionally do runs to the Caribbean or Europe or Asia as needed. But the thing I speak on primarily is teaching companies how to keep their customers. So what can you do, particularly in the first 100 days of the relationship with a new customer, to lay that foundation that keeps them coming back for more? Because it's fascinating. All of the research shows that those first 100 days are more dispositive to the lifetime value of the customer than any other time period or any other interaction in the entire relationship. So if we can focus on that time, the returns for our business as well as the returns for us personally and just in with regards to the types of relationships we're able to build with our customers deepen and increase dramatically. Interesting. Cool. And I want to get into some of that, especially as it, as it relates to speakers and what we can do in our own businesses. But I'm curious with a topic like that, as it relates to something that, that could really appeal to any type of business, whether that's we're talking about customer service or sales or leadership or culture or innovation or whatever, some of those big, broad topics can appeal to everybody. So do you have trouble finding like the niche of who this best fits for whenever it comes to your outward marketing? You know, it's interesting. I feel like I've been very fortunate and very blessed that I haven't had that challenge. You know, I often position it as if you sell to human beings, this message is relevant to you. And what's also interesting is there, and I say this with respect, I have a lot of friends that speak in the marketing and sales space. There are a ton of speakers in the marketing and sales space. There aren't that many of us that speak about what happens after the sale. Got it. Right. So if you were to go to Amazon, for example, and search the word sales and then search the word marketing and write down how many book hits you got, it's about 1.3 million, just over 1.3 million books that either deal with marketing or sales or both. If you were to search customer success, customer experience, customer service, customer loyalty, customer relationships, all the words and pairings that you would create to talk about what happens after the sale, you get about 30,000 books. Wow! And so the moral of the story is a lot of companies spend time focused on the marketing and sales 
part of the conversation, but few spend time on the what happens after yeah. conversation, which is pretty scary because as I was mentioning about the first 100 days, the research shows that somewhere between 20 and 70% of your customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. Wow. Now, that means they'll either leave or they'll decide that they're never doing a referral yeah. and or ever spending any more money with you than their initial project or their initial commitment. And so long story short, that time period, we spend all this time acquiring customers, driving them to the door, trying to get them in the door and get them to transition from being a prospect to a customer. But then once they become a customer, in most businesses, we hand them off to the lowest paid employee. The salesperson goes off and starts chasing someone new and they're kind of left to fend for themselves. And we wonder why we have struggles keeping our customers. Interesting. Cool. All right. Let's backtrack for a second. What, um, how did you first get into speaking? What was life like before speaking? Oh, so I've had an eclectic career, man. I, I mean, th- the first time that I was giving speech, well, first of all, I grew up the son of a criminal defense lawyer. So okay. just asking mom and dad to go out to the friend's house, you know, it was like presenting a case to a jury. But if you look at, I was on the high school speech and debate team, uh-huh. traveled extensively for that. After I uh, went to college, took time off from speech and debate to actually do things like date and have other types of fun. And then it went straight to law school where I was on the mock trial team and the moot court team and the, okay. uh, the various speaking teams there. So I've been giving speeches and talking in front of crowds for a very long time. The way I kind of specifically got into it doing full time was about three years ago. I had been giving speeches randomly, maybe four or five a year for my clients of my ad agency. I ran an ad agency for over okay. 15 and they would have me come in and talk about branding or messaging or various topics like that. And throughout that time running my agency, I was working on customer experience a lot because I realized that we could drive a lot of people to the door, but if they weren't keeping them, the clients weren't getting the ROI and they'd get frustrated about the marketing. And I'm like, look, we're bringing them to the door. You're just not keeping them. So started to shift and a lot of my business became about the customer experience after they uh, came in the door. And next thing I knew, people were asking me to speak about that. And like I said, about three years ago, a good buddy of mine, who's also a speaker, uh, Jim Shields, he speaks about, you know, how to create great relationships with your children and uh, your parents and kind of, you know, the importance of the 18 summers as he refers to it. He said to me, he's like, why don't you go full-time on this instead of, you know, still running your agency and speaking on the side? And I thought about it and I decided, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So literally the next week, shut down the agency side of my business and went full on in speaking. And so that was three years ago. Yeah, about three years ago that I went full time. Wow. Before that, I was, like I said, I was doing, you know, a handful of speeches every year, but it was really three years ago that I, I really went all in on the speaking. So how long were you kind of doing some of the speaking on, on the side while you were running the agency? Was it the full I mean, years of the agency? Yeah. I mean, you know, in the beginning it was very little. And, you know, again, this comes out of that context of I had spent a lot of time in courtrooms and a lot of time on the debate and speaking circuit yeah. growing up. So coming back to speaking was not a, uh, was not a new endeavor. It was just kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, dusting off an old skill set and sure. saying, all right, well, what does it look like in this context of speaking in a business setting? Yeah. You know, somebody asked me, they're like, do you get nervous being up on stage? And I'm like, of course, any speaker that tells you they don't get nervous, I think they might be pulling your leg a little yeah. bit. I won't go so far as to say they're lying, but they might be, <laughs> you know, it's just people handle nerves different ways. But what I often tell people is that the stakes are so much lower now. I always want to make my audience love the presentation and I, I want to make sure they take action from it and really enjoy their time and are entertained by me. But in my past life, if I misspoke, somebody went to prison. 
right? When I was a criminal defense lawyer. Now, if I misspeak, well, maybe the audience ranks me four out of five on the right, speakers, right. right? You know, or or that session wasn't as good as the previous session. Right. All right. My goal is always to have them think this was amazing and wonderful. But because the stakes in many ways are lower, it allows me to bring a lot more energy to get the game and take a lot more risk and have a lot more fun with it. Yeah. Because before it was kind of risking with someone's future. Now it's really just risking with my level of comfort. <laughs> right, right, right. We were talking a little bit beforehand about how part of being a speaker is taking some of those risks and just to keep it interesting and entertaining for yourself. So, all right. So one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, you're, you're doing some speaking here on the side. How are you getting those gigs even for, it sounds like you're doing it for somewhat for business development and also just because you enjoy doing it, but where are those gigs actually coming from? Yeah, it's interesting, Gray. I am not, let me be very clear. I am not the speaker to model when it comes to outbound efforts to drive new gigs. Okay. <laughs> Go listen to somebody like Andrew Davis, you know, those right. guys who are amazing. But basically, my theory always was if you give an incredible speech, there will be people in the audience who want to hire you to give another speech. Yeah. And I started looking at the metrics. And for me, for about every 50 people in the audience, one of those people hires me to give a speech or to do some level of consulting within the next two years. So it's a numbers wow. game for me. The more I speak, the more gigs I get, and we go from there. And so to answer your question specifically, in the beginning, it really was clients saying to me, my very first paid speaking gig, I had a client who I had done some branding for, and they reached out and they said, hey, we'd like you to uh, speak at our annual event. And they ran a big trade show in their industry. And I said, sure, I'm happy to. And the CEO said, look, Joey, we really don't have, I'm sure, the budget to cover your normal fee, but would you be willing to work with us? Now, mind you, full transparency, I've never been paid to give a business speech before. And I said, well, we've been working together for a while. We're friends. Why don't you tell me what you have in the budget? I'm sure we can figure something out. He's like, well, we've got $3,000. And I said, for an hour keynote. And I said, you know, that's not usually what I get paid, which was true. 100% true. That's not usually what I get paid. Usually I don't get I said, that's not usually what I get paid, but I'd be happy to do it. But what I would ask is that if anybody asks, you let them know that you got a deal. Okay. And he said, okay, no problem. Yeah. So I go and I speak at his event. The crowd loves it. People are going bonkers. I come off the stage. CEO's there. We're talking. He's really happy with how it turned out. I'm happy with how it turned out. I've been paid to give a speech. One of his top vendors comes walking up and says, who's also exhibiting at the show and says, Joey, we love that presentation. We'd love to have you come do a presentation like that for our company. And before I can say a word, the CEO of the company that hired me turns to him and says, well, you better be ready to get out the checkbook because he's six grand a speech. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he goes, we could do that. I said, fantastic. Let's exchange cards and we'll have a conversation. So I went from $0 paid to $3,000 paid to $6,000 paid. Just double it. Just double it. Just double it, right? And, and I share that not to, to sound arrogant, and ego, but just to say there's very little method to the madness when it comes to what you charge for speaking. I've got a number of friends who I think grossly undercharge yeah. for the value that they provide. I've been in the audience where I've known the fees, yeah. where it felt to me like maybe they were charging a little bit more than they should have. But that being said, I'm never going to be one to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't charge. And if a client, uh, you know, whether that's a hosting organization, or a conference or a trade show wants your message and believes that your message is going to deliver the kind of experience and the kind of knowledge and the kind of interaction that they want to create for their audience, I think it's the idea of what you charge is really flexible and malleable yeah. as a result. So it sounds like for in your situation, a couple questions that come to mind is it sounds like before you started speaking professionally, 
you had done a lot of speaking, whether it be yes. in a, a trial setting, in a court, in a debate setting, in a presenting a workshop, and a few of these engagements here and there. And so by the time you got ready to speak, it wasn't like a, well, you know, I just kind of worked on my talk here and there and all of a sudden I'm amazing. You know, it's a lot of work over those years that led up to the point where then you really started to dial in your craft. How much oh, do you absolutely. feel like a lot of that experience in the past really helped you just to give you a lot of at-bats and reps to the point where it really helped you going forward? 100%. 100% that time contributed to where I was and it allowed me to accelerate not only, I think, my ability to perform on stage, because I was also a musician, so I sang in lots of groups, I was in musicals. So the idea of being on stage entertaining an audience was very, very comfortable and yeah. familiar to me. Again, I was also in the courtroom. So this was just changing who the audience was and what their expectation was. Yeah. For context, let's say years ago, somebody asked me how many speeches had I given? And I didn't know. And so I decided to sit down and do the math. And so I decided, well, first we have to define what a speech is. And I defined it as me in front of a room talking for more than five minutes, where the reason that the people are in the room is to hear me speak. Yeah. So for example, me getting up and giving a toast at a wedding yeah. doesn't count because they're not there for me, right. even though that's a speech, I didn't count that in my metric. But me being a speaker in a debate competition in high school, well, that does count because the reason the judge is in the room is to watch the debate and decide right. who wins. When I added all of that up between my time in high school, my time in college, and my time in law school. So by the time I had graduated law school, this is before I started practicing law, I had over 4,000 speeches. Wow. So when people say, oh, it seems like three years, you just came into this, you know, overnight success. Yes, yeah. an overnight success, 35 years in the making. Right. You are absolutely correct. You know, A little bit of work there that went into it beforehand. So one of the other absolutely. things that I'm curious about is like, there's always that adage of, you know, just be amazing on stage, be so good that they can't, they want to hire you, they want to work with you, they won't forget you. Is there anything that you're doing while you're speaking or before or after to help get those referrals or to help get that repeat business? Because Oftentimes, this is always baffling to me. I'm sure you've seen it too, where an audience doesn't make the connection that this is what you do. They just right, right. Like, it's crazy. They're like they see like, you up oh, there. Yeah, I just like, no, Joey's they paid this guy. Attend. Joey's He's this just random, random guy, guy that was like, walking found, through the hotel and they decided them. to throw a lapel mic on. Yeah, and so no, like, people I, just don't even realize. Like, no, this is what I do. I'm available. This exact thing I just did. I'm, I can come do the same dog and, and pony show at your thing, you know, but they just Great. don't make that connection. So is totally. there anything that you do to help elicit some of those referrals? There are a couple of things. And, and I will say, Grant, you are spot on. And I think this is an incredibly important point to make. As much as we think that the audience is listening to what we say, they are and they aren't, right. right? So we need to say it multiple times in multiple different ways. So a couple things that I do. Number one, my presentations have a tendency to be very case study focused, where I talk about examples of organizations that create remarkable experiences. I talk about organizations that I've admired from afar, and I also talk about organizations that I've worked with to help them create that experience in a consulting capacity. So what I'll do is I'll say, so for this next case study, I want to talk about company X. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, you know, they came to me with this problem. They're a consulting client of mine. And what we did is blah, 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 right, right. right? And I don't make a big deal out of it, but I just, I say it as kind of like, hey, I don't want to pretend. And then the ones where I haven't worked with them, I just tell the story and the audience then is like, oh, well, he hasn't worked with Amazon. He just told us that yeah. story. But then when I tell a story about Zappos and I say, in the interest of full disclosure, they were a client and they came with this challenge, then they're like, oh, he's worked with that type of client. Yeah. One of the things I try to do is make it clear to the audience that I work with big clients 
and very small clients. The reason I do that is if you only give examples of the big companies you work with, all the medium and small size companies think you're too expensive and they probably can't afford you. If you only work with small companies and give small company examples, all the medium and large size companies are like, oh, well, he can't do enterprise level work. So I try to do both of those things. I also make it a point in every speech to at some point say, I'm a professional speaker. I spend about two and a half weeks out of every month traveling the world, giving speeches to amazing audiences like you, none of which are as good looking as you. But nonetheless, (laughs) that's what I spend my day doing. And as a result, blah, blah, blah. And then I go make my point. That way, they've heard me from this. Even I'm planting seeds. Now, by the way, they've heard this in the bio of the introduction that was given. They've now heard me say it. And I always do a survey opt-in for my audience. And in that, as part of the message that comes back, which is always true, it's a pre-written message I do, but it's always true. I say, and by the way, several of you asked about what it would be like to work with Joey, because people do ask. Here are a couple different ways. Number one, you can work kind of in a do-it-yourself mode by checking out Joey's course. Number two, you can work in a personal capacity with Joey, helping him to build out your first 100 days solution. Number three, if you have an organization or a group that you think his message would be good for, Joey is a professional speaker who comes in and gives speeches to your audience. By the way, last thing I'll say on this, the reason I say professional, that's my polite way of letting them know that this is going to be a paid engagement. Okay, this is how I put food on my table. This is how I feed my family. So guess what? I'm not interested in doing free gigs. And that also I find sets the tone for this isn't going to be a $500 speech. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like to eat and live indoors. And uh, so therefore, 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 uh, uh, compensation is, uh, is appreciated. You guessed it. Okay. So I'm curious then, you're right. You're doing some speaking and it sounds like you're doing enough where it's got your attention. You mentioned this, this professional speaker, friend of yours, that had mentioned, hey, you should totally do this. So to go from, all right, I'm going to shut down the agency to do this full time. Like, what was that transition like? I'm assuming that's not like a Friday decision. And then Monday you wake up and like, all right, let's hit the ground running as a speaker. Because it just, it takes a little while to build it up. And, And speaking is very much a momentum business. And once you get the momentum going, it's easier to keep that momentum going. But it's still like, initially, it feels like pushing up the boulder uphill. But Sounds like at the beginning, you had a lot of wind at your back to make that transition. I did. And, you know, ironically enough, not to sound like the unicorn grant, it really was a conversation that I had on a Friday and I shut the business down Tuesday (laughs) of the following week. Basically, what I had is I already had some gigs going. I had some money in the bank. The background on that conversation is my buddy said, you know, what's your monthly burn rate? I shared that. He's like, how much money do you have in the bank? And at the time, I had enough money in the bank to cover my expenses for a year. Yeah. And he said to me, well, here's the thing. What if you shut down the design business, went all in and speaking, booked not a single speaking gig until next year? And next year, a year later, after you'd fully expended all of your savings, you had to go back to doing design and, you know, kind of your marketing and branding ad agency business. How hard would that be? And I was like, well, it'd be like flipping a switch. I could just go right back to it because I have all these other clients I've worked with. He's like, then what are you waiting for? And that's what I did. And so long story short, I shut the business down on Tuesday. The following week, I started sharing with people, hey, by the way, I've decided to become a full-time speaker. You know, I've spoken in the past. I'm now accepting gigs. I'm speaking full-time. And thankfully, and it was such a blessing, the gigs just started rolling in. And as I said before, once I then went to those gigs and really tried to put a lot of time and effort. I mean, as you know, the best speakers in the world, I believe, put a ton of time into their speech before they get on stage. So I had a professor in law school that used to uh, 
say, oh, best professor I ever had, a guy by the name of one of the best professors. I uh, is absolutely incredible. I don't want to disparage some of the other ones who are incredible by saying he was the best, but Ralph Steinhardt, amazing international law professor. And he used to, he shared with me at one time, Joey, I spend an hour for every minute of class. Wow. So if I have a 60 minute class, that means I need to have spent 60 hours on that lesson plan. Now, obviously, he's spending that time throughout his entire career building the lessons plans and on and on. And so I tried doing that. I said, okay, if I'm going to give an hour-long talk, how can I prep for this talk for 60 hours before that? And as a result, I feel like that catapulted the audience experience and my performance level greatly because I was putting so much time into it. And that's why now I can be tweaking slides the night before, which drives my good friend, Michael and Amy Port crazy because they're all about having this planned out a little more in advance. But I can play with it because I've spent the time that if I want to add a new bit right the night before, Mm -hmm. I can because I know the other 59 minutes of the speech are so dialed in. Right. That if that one minute doesn't hit exactly the way I need it to be, it's okay. Let's say hypothetically, let's say, and we were talking a little bit beforehand, we were just presented a brand new presentation. So in that 60 hours of prep work, and I know that it can often go much, much more than that. Yes. What does that look like for you, just in your experience, meaning that that for a lot of speakers, we would say, well, I mean, one of the best things you can do is just be really, really good on stage, you know, just give a good right. talk. It's like, okay, I'm doing my best here, you know? Right, right. So what like, what does that look like for you in terms of the process of making sure that I'm putting in the work long before the speech actually a- arrives? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a believer in that phrase that if I'm going to be a professional speaker, I need to approach it like a professional. So for example, take professional athletes. They don't just show up at the gym five minutes before their game and lace up and get on the court, right? I mean, that that's not the way it works. So I basically, to give you an idea, a brief overview of my process, I decide I'm going to come up with a new keynote. I will be thinking about that keynote for at least a year, Yeah. right? Thinking in my head about, oh, how would this relate and what's the audience? And then when I decide, okay, I'm going to give this a try, I actually write in the keynote program on Mac, right? I write within the slide design because I'm a very visual learner. And so what I'll do is I'll start to create image slides that will visually walk the audience through the path and the narrative I want them to take. And then I'll add in more. And then I'll say, oh, I want to make this point. I need to go find a good case study or a good example that proves this point I want to make. And then I may spend 10 hours searching, reading other books, trying to find the perfect example, and then bringing it in. For this speech I just did, for example, I read a story in Charles Duhigg's book, uh, Power of Habit, years ago, like within three months of that book first coming out. And I think that book's been out for several years now. I actually referenced that in the new speech that I was just giving. And I actually built out about 10 slides to tell that story. Now, of course, giving him credit. And I say, hey, by the way, I first heard this story in an amazing book that you should all go out and buy this book. Here's what happened. And I tell the audience the story. One of the challenges speakers have is we spend so much time listening to other speakers and reading books and listening to podcasts that we think everybody's heard this story. This story has been around for a long time. Okay, this is the story of how Target used data to predict pregnancies and figure out women were pregnant before the women even knew. It's an amazing story. And uh, Dewey tells the story in his book. I would have thought when I told this story that kind of most everybody would have heard it. So I was trying to make it fun and entertaining. What became very clear and is this audience of 500 people, I don't think anyone had ever heard the story before. Yeah. And it was a great reminder to me that if we tell the stories well, you can tell a story that you even think is an old story and present it in a brand new way yeah. that people will find entertaining. No, I think so that- then once the... 
it's written, then it's about getting up on my feet and practicing it and running it and then getting out in front of an audience and doing it. I believe you should be in front of an audience sooner than you think you're ready. Yeah. Because that live feedback, that live, oh, that joke just worked. Oh, that little point didn't. You know, I should have stayed. You know, when, when you have four or five people come up to you afterwards and are like, so on that story you were telling about this, what actually happened here? And you're like, ooh, that's, they had an open loop. I needed to close that. Yeah. Or when they come up and they say, oh, I love this example. Great. Then guess what? That example is going to get used in every version of the scheme <laughs> because it's really, it's the one they resonate with the most. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of truth there that, especially when you're, when you're coming up with a new talk, I always tell speakers, it's an educated guess until you get on stage. I think Absolutely. this is funny. I think this is going to resonate. I think this is going to work. And the other thing to consider, in fact, as you well know, is that that line may kill with one audience the very next day in a different venue, in a different setting. It may totally bomb. Completely bomb. And, and I think as speakers, one of the challenges we have as a community is not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So if you've got a line that works and it works and it works and then one day it doesn't. Most speakers I know, myself included, go, oh, man, I need to rewrite that entire section. Right. It doesn't work anymore. And it's like, no, it just might have not worked with that crowd. Right. Or it might not have been appropriate with that crowd. And you've got to, it comes back to the conversation we were having about taking risks. There's some risk that I will take in certain audiences that I wouldn't take in others. Like I'll make some jokes about things that may be border. I try never to make it certainly off color inappropriate jokes, sure. but I'll push up against the edge yeah. and then I'll actually kind of make it a bit of a meta example and I'll step out and say, so what I just did there made some of you uncomfortable. Let's talk about the things you're doing that make your customer uncomfortable. Gotcha. And then they're like, oh, it was done for a reason, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you made me feel that way and I kind of didn't like it, but then I say, but here's why I did it. So I'm sorry and this is what we were trying to accomplish. And so you can, even when things don't go well, you can turn that into an opportunity to either for a teachable moment for everybody involved or an opportunity, worst case scenario, just make it self-deprecating and the audience loves really? that. Just say, oh, well, that joke killed in my hotel room last night to <laughs> the mirror. But clearly, uh, there's a couple of you in the room right now. Sorry about that. Uh, not, so, not so much at this moment. Right. And it's so true that like the, you know, the audience takes their cues from you as the speaker. So if, if it's not a big deal to you, it's not a big deal to them. But if all of a sudden Absolutely. you, something doesn't work or something feels uncomfortable and the more un uptight and uncomfortable you get, the more the audience feels that and they respond accordingly. Grant, it is so true. This is, I, I think if there was one, I spend time talking to uh, new speakers from time to time and they'll say, you know, okay, like what are your best pieces of advice to give or what are the things we should do? And one of the things I always come back to is, it is usually the case that everyone in the audience, this is the first time they've ever seen you speak, and this will be the last time they ever see you speak. Okay? So the only way, and they don't have a script. This yep. isn't a yep. performance that they're used to. They're not watching their favorite movie, and they're ready to quote the next line. They have no idea what's going to happen. So as long as you don't give them any indication that anything has gone awry or anything is off plan, you're fine. Even when you misspeak, I remember giving a speech in law school for whatever reason. I was giving the speech and my grammar just fell apart on me in the middle of a sentence. And, and I said, this is the most, oh, how did I say it? Most bestest version. And I caught myself and I said it and kind of all these lost lawyers kind of look up at me and I right. said, and my mother is most proudest of me at this moment for my <laughs> use of grammar. And everybody started laughing and they thought it was a joke. And I'm like, no, it's just a save right. in the moment. But they right? don't know. So they don't know. They thought it was great. People came up afterwards. They were like, oh, man, that most bestest line that killed. That was great. I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. 
which is true. I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it, but it was <laughs> certainly not part of the plan. Now, it sounds like with you, even though the, the the topic that you may speak on as it relates to just customer service, customer experience is kind of a, a big type of topic, it sounds like you do a lot of customization depending on the audience and depending on the industry or the niche of the vertical that you're speaking to. Is that is that true? That is 100% true. Every speech is different. I customize every single speech. There's no set formula. Even if I have a set opener and closer for my intro and my close, I'm tweaking it to make reference to them. So in one of the intros I do, I, I talk about kind of these feelings and I will tweak what I say to match the scenario of the audience that I'm working with. So I'm constantly trying. My belief is if you add somewhere between three and five lines, sentences in your hour-long keynote that are hyper-targeted to your audience, whether using insider baseball language that they use or making reference to a challenge that they have in their industry that is kind of unique, the audience feels like the entire speech has been written for them and that every aspect of it is new. Even if 90% of it is the same every time, that 10% or even 5% or even 1%, if you do it well enough, it leads to experience. You know, I, I spoke to an audience uh, yesterday that was in an industry I've never spoken before. And I was thrilled because a number of people came up and said, I can't believe how much time you must have spent learning our industry. Yeah. Now to me, to be full disclosure, I did spend time. I talked to people that worked in their industry. I went to some of their retail locations so I could experience it. But I really tried to make sure that I let them know look, I'm not giving you the canned speech I give for everyone. And ironically enough, two of the people that came up to me actually said that. You know, in the past when we've had speakers here, it feels like they're delivering the same speech they always give and it just didn't really apply to us. But man, your speech, like it was entirely for us, wasn't it? And I was like, absolutely. It was entirely for you because that was my intention and that's what I did. Yeah, very cool. Well, all right. So beforehand, we were talking about how I wanted to talk through your speaking journey, but I also wanted to talk about your new book and how it applies to speakers about how to never lose a customer. I'm thinking we need to have you back for part two. You game for that? <laughs> I would be happy to come back from part two. My pleasure. Okay. We, we want to get to that. Before we get to uh, that at some point in the very near future, give us a nutshell of the book and uh, where we can find it. That way people can read it before we have the conversation. There you it. go. There you go. Yeah. So the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. It just came out in April. Uh, And basically, it distills everything I've learned about customer experience and customer retention over the past 15, 18 years of running my agency, but really over my entire career and my entire life. The human condition is such that I don't care whether you're selling B2B, B2C, B2G, you're selling H to H. It's humans selling to other humans. Mm -hmm. And what the book is really about is providing you a framework for what you do after you've made the sale. How do you successfully onboard a new customer, walking them through eight phases of a potential customer journey so that you get a customer for life. Because as I mentioned earlier, 20 to 70% are going to leave in the first 100 days. The typical industry, if you get them today 101, they'll stay for five years. So this time is really important. Uh, There are 46 case studies in the book from companies, small, medium, and large all over the world that are great at creating remarkable experiences. And, And my goal was really to create something that could sit on someone's shelf for a long time and they could continue to come back to it because customer experience is ever evolving. Once you get the experience dialed in in one aspect, it's time to go work on the other aspect. And as the as your audience's uh, desires and expectations change, you're going to need to polish it and, and change it. 
it. So it's available as a book. It's available as an audio book. If I always say on podcasts, if you've enjoyed listening to my voice, you can listen to me read the book to you on the audiobook version. And of course, it's available in ebook as well. But it's called Never Lose a Customer Again. And you can get it at Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you'd like to shop and get books. Awesome, man. Well, and this is why I think it's important for us. to I want, I want to have you back to come talk about this as it relates to speakers. Because I tell speakers all the time, if you're amazing on stage, but you're a pain in the butt to work with. And by pain in the butt, I don't mean like prima donna or you're a diva or anything like that. But if you're just unorganized, if you're sloppy, if the customer experience is bad and you're unresponsive and you're just, from that standpoint, you're a pain in the butt to work with, clients don't want to work with you. They don't. So they don't. Not only do they important. not want to work with you, they won't tell anyone about totally. you because Absolutely. they don't want to subject their friends to the same level of chaos that was dealing with you. No, I totally agree. Let me, if I may, Grant, leave yeah. one little teaser idea that speakers could do Please. between now and when we come back for show two. Okay. So one of the things I did early on in my speaking business is I sat down with a couple of the meeting planners I know and I said, who had booked me to speak at gigs. And I said, when are you most nervous as it relates to me, the speaker? So whether it could be Joey or to any speaker, when are you most nervous? And I had two of them say to me, Joey, lots of times there's so many pieces going on with the project that I don't see you until the sound check, yeah. the morning of your speech. Yep. And I thought, how can I fix that? So I started a new process as a result of that conversation where I always get the cell phone number mm -hmm. of my point of contact. When my plane touches down in that city, whether it's the night before, two days before, the morning of, whatever it is, I send a text message that says, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm here in town. I'm on my way to the hotel in 15 minutes, super excited for our event. I'll see you at Soundcheck tomorrow yeah. or whatever it may be. Yeah. That singular message has done more, I think, to make meeting planners say Joey's a delight to work with than probably any other thing I've done. And it sounds simple and it sounds easy, but when you realize the mass scale of things that are open loops running in their minds that they're worried about, knowing that you're in town solves the biggest fear that they have. What if the speaker we've paid for doesn't show? Right, right. Right? That little thing, hugely effective. Totally agree. I've done that for years. It makes a massive, massive difference because it's just exactly like you described. Like it may have been weeks, perhaps, you know, months since they last talked to you and they're going, oh crap, I hope they remembered. I hope that the speaker shows up. So just giving them, hey, I'm in the area. I'm in your time zone. I'm on my way. It's all good. Just go back to your thing. I just wanted you to know. like that just little thing. Whenever I'm on site, just going to touch base. I don't need anything. Just want to say hey to you. I'll be in my room if you need something. just touching base with them. So they see you, they interact with you in some way, they a text, whatever it is, but they know, okay, I can again mentally check that off my list. Makes a massive, massive difference. So that's a that's a great idea. That's just a taste of what's to come in part two from Joey. No pressure there. So uh, we're looking forward to that. No worries. So, well, I'll, I'll start my preparations now, an hour for every minute of the next perfect, podcast. Perfect. Make sure we deliver good value. Well, Joey, thanks for the time, man. In the meantime, if people want to check you out, in addition to the book, where, where can we go? Best place to find me is on my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know somewhere. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. You can find all kinds of information about me, videos, blog articles. That's the best spot to find me. Perfect. Thanks, man. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Grant. Loved being on the show. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joey Coleman. Again, you want to make sure that you check out his new book, Never Lose a Customer. Really good stuff there. And again, we're, we're going to dig into that more of that on the uh, the next conversation that we have with Joey. 
Now, once again, like I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show, we do have this new free Facebook group that is open and available. So you want to make sure that you go join that. You can go over to thespeakerlabgroup.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabgroup.com and check that out. We'd love for you to be a part of that group. Also, don't forget that this particular week, the week of August the 6th, of the week of August the 6th till August the 10th of uh, this year. When is it this year? 2018. We're going to be doing a uh, free giveaway, giving away a premium speaker kit. All right. So you want to go make sure that you register for that. Again, you can get all the details by joining the Facebook group over at thespeakerlabgroup.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabgroup.com. Hey, once again, we are so excited that you're here. We appreciate you listening and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review so you never miss a single episode. We've got some great episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got a huge announcement next week. And then in two weeks, we've got our 200th episode that I think you're really, really going to enjoy. All right? We appreciate you being here. Catch you next time. You're awesome. You're awesome.